Hey folks, uh, back. Very excited to be here with the one and only John Henry Heckendorn. How's it going? You uh, pretty good. You've been uh, somebody I've wanted to have on the podcast for a long time since I started the podcast, basically. Yeah, I've uh, I've been li- I've been a regular listener, so have this you? is exciting. Yeah, I, I think I listened to every episode. Re- well, you, that's crazy. Wow, really? Every yeah. episode? Even, well, even Landmine Love. No, I've, I do listen to Landmine Love. Yeah, you and Sabrina. Uh, that's a pretty good one. That's that's one of my favorites. If you have any questions? You know, feel free to. They're anonymous. So yeah, I'll submit. have to think about that. Um, so one of the podcasts was with Representative Andy Josephson, mm-hmm. and that guy just very smart. I mean, he's one of the people you talk to, and you're just like, "God damn, this guy is smart," mm-hmm. you know. And during this podcast, um, he told me about his first campaign. I didn't know this until the podcast was. I learned it on the podcast. Mm-hmm. He he brought you to Alaska. Yeah, so we went to the same uh, tiny little college in Washington State, Whitman College in Walla Walla, Washington. Walla Walla. Um, I mean, like he obviously that. went there a long, a long time before I did. But um, when he was running, he uh, when he decided to run, he thought it'd be I don't know romantic or something to hire a Whitman kid to run his campaign. So he reached out to the politics department. Yeah, he said he like called him and said, "I'm running for office. Do you have any names?" Yeah. So they they recommended a few of us, and um, I was looking for something kind of off the beaten path. And a summer in Alaska working in politics seemed like. You know, so that was 2012 cycle, right? Yeah, 2012. That's right. So that was that was when you ran. That was when I ran for the Senate. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. you probably, I could just see you come up here and being like, "Who is this guy?" Yeah, yeah I think back I, then nobody knew who I was. I was just like totally first time running for office, and I because you've been one of like the was it Ron Paul or yeah yeah. So in 08, I was a big Ron Paul guy, mm-hmm. and I was still in 2012. I was still kind of that's where I was a lot, and you know, I'm still in some levels, some ways there, but I've kind of changed a lot of for sure because a lot of that's idealistic. You know, yeah. it sounds great. But then you look at kind of how it really works in practicality. Right. Not and, interacting with other countries or whatever. The uh, Yeah. I sl- and also just kind of the, the like, I'm not going to, it's like, I'm not going to compromise at all. Right. Well, that sounds great. But yeah, know, we see in Juno how that works out. It, it, when I was in Juno for you know four months during the session. I, I think my two biggest takeaways were the most important things for a legislator to be successful isn't even their political positions. Mm-hmm. It's their ability to get along with other, others mm-hmm. and their word. I totally agree. I mean, yeah. I mean, you can have the best ideas. You can be the smartest person. If, if no one likes you or trust, they don't you. trust you. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Exactly. No, I think you're right. I think you're spot on. I, uh, do you remember there was a tea party, Alaska tea party forum in June that year, uh, 2012. There were, yeah, there was, and I was hooked up with those people. At the yeah. Time, so there was a lot of those going on. I, that was the first time I ever saw you was at that forum. And was that at the, um, ASR, like that built, built Midtown building? Somewhere in Midtown. Yeah. yeah. It was at that big, um, Center point building. Yep, yep. exactly. I, that, I totally remember that. It was, that like, was my second day in Alaska was going to that. Forum. There was like the paddles. Uh-huh. Yeah, the, they went up and down. I mean, that that forum. Murdered. That was wild. That was, was wild. So many people got on the record on some crazy stuff at that forum. I mean, people were recycling that stuff cycles later, like 2016. People are still digging, you know, like the Liz Vasquez. Like, yep. What did she paddle? I was sitting, next to, I was sitting next to Gabrielle Ledoux. There was two groups. Uh-huh. And I was, I think, in the first group. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, it was dude. That was wild. I forgot about that. We were running against Dick Trainey, and my big disappointment was he didn't say any. He was pretty, pretty rational. Like he's kind of a moderate. Well, he's been around doing politics yeah. a long time. So well, people are surprised that. to find out he's a Republican. I mean, he's, you know, because he's well, so tied in with labor. Well, and I was on, you know, the community council for Taco Campbell. I was president for many years, and uh-huh. he came. And I, I used to always, for a long time, I kind of thought he was like a, like a progressive liberal. But then other times, I'm like, damn, this guy is like sounds real conservative. Mm-hmm. Like you don't. Because Andy was talking about that, we don't you don't really know where he is sometimes. Yeah. He's a huge Mitt Romney fan. Is he Mormon? Yeah, he is. Mormon. Yeah, I, I remember yeah. that hearing that. Yeah. Um, all right, so you came up here, you did Andy, Andy one. Mm-hmm. Were you like, yo, what's up? Good call, Andy. Well, we were t- so they just redistricted, so we didn't really. Andy and I were both pretty new to all of this, so I think we probably had an easier district than we thought. Yeah, because they did it in 2010, but then they got the map got thrown out. That was yeah. a big deal that year because I remember. Our district wasn't even for sure. We don't even know if it was going to be our district. Right. Because it was so late when they finally adopted the, the map after the uh, lawsuit. Yeah. So you couldn't go back and it was hard to go back and look at past results and, and try to figure out like how good your how safe your district was. So everyone told us that Dick Trainey had been around forever, had huge name recognition. So we thought we were in like a we thought we were a total underdog the whole way. So when we won, we were pretty stoked. But then if you see how Andy's done in later cycles, maybe it wasn't. 
mm-hmm. as big of a heavy lift. Do, do people thought. know? Did people generally know Andy's dad or not? Not real. I mean, I, I, I didn't even know who he was until many years later when I really started getting involved in. Yeah, I mean, like history of politics because his dad was a state senator. So. Older Democratic donors knew about his dad. Actually, Governor Sheffield um, had a really strong relationship with his dad. Well, because his dad was the one who was defending right. the impeachment and yeah. the. Um, um, with the, the procurement deal yeah, in the Senate. Exactly. So it helped with fundraising. Like people knew his dad and respected his dad. So they would donate to Andy, but, um, there's so much turnover in Anchorage. We didn't really see it going. Yeah. I'm door. sure younger. Yeah. Cause that's back going back 30 years or something. Yeah. Uh, so you decided to, I guess you decided to stay, right? You, you Well, actually I left. I was, it wasn't even to me. It seemed so obvious that I wouldn't stick around and I left, um, and was going to move to D.C., I think, and do some sort of, you know, basic consulting internship or intern on the Hill or something. And it wasn't until I left that I started realizing all the things that I missed about Alaska, even just being here six months. That was me when I was in, I was in Australia for a year, and uh-huh. I had been here at that point for, let's see here, 13 years. Mm-hmm. So I loved Australia. I mean, I loved it. Mm-hmm. But, man, you just, there's something about Alaska. Yeah. Well, and I also had this, I had this idea in my head that kind of developed when I was working with Andy that um, people were putting so much focus on these campaigns, but we were constantly recycling talent and experience out of working directly on the campaigns. Mm-hmm. And I just was thinking, how, how could you actually pay enough to retain talent and experience working cycle to cycle? And to me, I mean, I had a few ideas about that, but one of them was if you could bundle multiple campaigns and use your experience to do as good of a job but but working across because oh, you get kind of economies of scale yeah exactly so eric croft called me up i was in dc uh applying for jobs and feeling kind of depressed about it and surprised to realize that i was actually like kind of missing alaska and eric called me up and asked if i wanted to do his school board race and then tim Steele's assembly race and um where are you from originally i grew up in england and then outside of boston my oh, yeah, because you have family my grandma was english yeah that's like a yeah, family yeah. there too my mom's British. Uh, dad's have, from Seattle. Yeah, British passport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dual citizen. So, so much for the EU deal, huh? Yeah, the the Brexit thing really made that a lot less valuable. So you don't. I mean, you didn't. Must have not been there very long because you don't have any accent at all. Or did we you moved kinda... when I was like seven ish, six, seven, eight, so something used, like that. Where did you used to be like oh, I'm. Uh, I can't even do a British like. Hello, I'm John Henry. Well, yeah. Hello. I, if <laughs> like, you watch like old, even in into middle school, I had this thick British accent, but people would make fun of you for it. So then I, I, you know, you subconsciously, you, can you get go rid back of it. to it or I can, it helps if I have a couple of beers. Yeah, no, it's, can, it's funny when you're yeah, with yeah. time with language. You, uh-huh. you, it's funny when I was in like, I met some Cockney people in like Australia. There's a lot of British in Australia mm-hmm. and, um, although like North, Northern, you know, England and, mm-hmm. and some of those people like you like, what are you saying? Yeah. You know, like I asked this one, I was talking, there was a bar and this chick was there. I was talking to her and I was like, she was like, made some comment about her. Age. I was like, how old are you? She's like, nine. And I was like, what? Nine. <laughs> I go, wait, 19, 19, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like that northerning. <laughs> yeah. Scouser. Um, we, uh, it was a bummer because in middle school you get made fun of for it, but then I went to college and was like, that, that's, that, that's when you need it. It'd be really nice to have a British accent right oh, now. Yeah. yeah. So, so your mom's English, but your dad's American. Yeah. My dad's American. They actually met. It's kind of a crazy story. They, they're both, um, pretty strong in their faith and, uh, both went to business school and then you know, turned down probably more lucrative jobs to go work for a small Bible smuggling company that was, or not company, but, you know, China or something or into the, into the past, the, you know, like, uh, Eastern European countries. Oh, wow. Like Soviet Soviet Union. Yeah. Times. Yeah. So my dad's got some crazy stories about like, I do a podcast with him. Yeah. Hiding in a graveyard uh, at a priest's house when the secret service came by to talk to the Romania. Uh, this was, I want to say like Ceausescu, man, that guy was like, I want to say this was in Hungary, but I, you know, I, You'd have to ask him. So you were so that's that's time the time I first got to know you, um, I didn't know who you were at all. You know, mm-hmm. Arctic entries. Right, right, right. When you told the story about you were in DC and you went to this church, I guess, or you went you thought you were going to some church, but you ended up at like an all black church. Yeah, I uh, so I was interning for Mark Baggage actually at the time, and I had I'd made this list of all the stuff I was going to do with my, I think it was five months in DC. Um, and one of them was to make my mom happy by starting to go back to church again. And right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 And, uh, but I, I hadn't made a plan for what church I was going to go to. So we, we lived in a predominantly black neighborhood and I just walked down the street and, um, Didn't you say you walked in and you were like the, like the only white dude or something? Yeah. And it was weird cause they, it was a weird old building. And so you had to take an elevator to the top floor where the, where they actually had the service. Um, 
and it took so long to get in there that and it wasn't i mean obviously it wasn't that there you know it was that i was the only white person but like in in that sort of a setting there's a very specific way of doing church that is different from how you know if you're going to a predominantly white new england Mm -hmm. you know congregational church praise jesus yeah exactly it's much more vocal um the services are longer there's a lot more time spent on the music the music (laughs) so when you went when you went in it it was already it already started it had already started but but um i mean it was a typically the service was like two and a half hours so people took their time getting there um so and then you ended up like you ended up going there the whole for the whole summer right or the whole yeah they they called me up and they had been worried because they'd had a bad experience i think the last white person who'd come to church had been a journalist and it was at the time of some there was some social issue that was like prevalent in the community i don't know someone did a write-up on their on their church that was negative and they so they were really burned by that so then I showed up and they were like, oh no, here we go again. Oh. And then they realized I was just this schmuck from Alaska who didn't, you know, had just like shown up and they were like, oh, this is great. Uh, and they'd actually been, they'd been noticing more young white people moving into the neighborhood. And what I didn't realize until months later was they'd been thinking, talking amongst themselves, like we should reach out to these people. But they were, they were feeling unsure about how to reach out mm-hmm. to these people who were moving in. So when, the, when I showed up and they realized that I was just someone who'd, who'd moved to town for a while. Um, they were really excited and did you say you became friends with like you ended up spending like the whole like, a lot of time there? And... Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, um, the story you told that article, it was so funny the way you told it. Yeah. Uh, that was what year? I'm glad you thought so. Like three or four years ago or something? Or? I think that was 2015. Yeah. Yeah. My parents came to visit and the pastor, um, as he was walking up to give the sermon, he looked at me and he asked if, if these were my parents. Uh, and I said, yeah. And he, he winked at me and was like, I got your back, man. And then he got up and, uh, gave this whole sermon. And at one point the, the Sunday before it had snowed like a half inch and you know, it's DC. It's like, so when it snows, it's total meltdown. People don't know how to handle the snow. And I hadn't thought anything of it coming from Alaska. So I'd gone to church on my bicycle and, uh, but like two thirds of the congregation hadn't shown up because of the snow. And so he gave, he was giving this sermon about commitment and he looks straight at my mom and is like, and, and last Sunday, John Henry got on his bicycle and he made it sound like I'd done this epic, like Oregon trail <laughs> journey to get to church. Uh, and then after the service, he was like, you like how I did that, man? You like how I set you up for your mom? And I was like, yeah, that was perfect. Thanks dude. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's so, uh, yeah, it was just a really good, I guess people can, I did an art country story too. So if what you, was yours on? Mine was Speedo Gate. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. That, yeah. Well, it was, uh, were you? Working for Walker then or no? No, I don't think you were. You that were... was before my time with Walker. Did you do stuff with the campaign or no? Or the twenty fourteen? Uh, no, I wasn't particularly involved. I, I had a little bit of involvement as they were forming the unity ticket, um, mm-hmm. like just unrallying. My my job was to like talk to young Democrats about because um, they had to, had to take a big uh, central committee vote. So I had a very peripheral role in that, but I didn't really do much work on the campaign the first time. All right, so you're in D.C., but then you come back to Alaska for this uh, Croft um, Steel deal, right? Mm-hmm. And that was when AO37 blew up. Oh, um, the labor deal. Yeah, but that happened like a week after I got there. Um, so we were behind. I didn't realize how bad it was, but we were behind 4-1 to one to Cheryl Frasca in terms of fundraising when I got there. Um, and it wasn't a super high-energy campaign. And I remember getting back and thinking, oh, man, I've signed up It was up Tim, for, right? Yeah. yeah. And Tim's great, great guy, but... Um, he doesn't scream energy. He's kind of, you know. I think he he's more, more interested in the policy than yeah, in like he's the reserved. all the. Marketing. How's he doing? Is he? I think he's doing good. I saw him a few months ago. I know he's had some health issues. I don't know a whole lot about that. Um, yeah, they didn't really. I forget what it, he resigned. Right. Mm-hmm. His, and I, I don't know if they went into what what it was, but he, he was had some health issues. He was sick. Yeah, I see his daughter at the Alaska Club occasionally. She works there, and I I have asked her a few times, and she says he's doing okay. So, I hope he's doing well. So Cheryl had a, a big outraise, a fundraising event. Well, she's probably, you know, the Republican circle, she's in, easy to raise money for her, I think. Yeah, she's, I think, very well connected in Republican circles. Uh, she's like the uh, Republican APOC person, go-to yeah, 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 yeah. person. Yeah, exactly. And and financial stuff. I know she's on, is it Commonwealth North? Yeah, yeah she's involved yeah. with that. She's real smart. She's, yeah. she was, I think she was budget director a long time ago. I think for Sullivan or for uh, maybe for one of the governors. Maybe I think she was Murkowski. for the, Yeah, I think she was yeah. Murkowski maybe. She was yeah. the budget director. Well, she, she had this, you know, she was very well connected, had a great fundraising advantage, and then AO37 happened and just resources poured into our campaign. Um, Remember that one meeting where it was like at the assembly I went to, it, there was like, there was like hundreds of people. So there was like fucking hundreds uh-huh. of people who wanted to testify. Yeah. It was it wild. went forever. Man. And 
Yeah. That was that was Ernie Hall who dropped that. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking like, because I, I, I kind of like training. I, I always thought Ernie was like a pretty moderate kind of progressive guy. Mm-hmm. And then he just drops this thing. It was like 4.59 yeah. on fr- the Friday deadline or something. Yeah. Everybody like lost their minds. Yeah, I, I think, I, you know, I you'd have to talk to him. But my sense was he thought he was offering sort of a compromise. Like he could be the guy who kind of figured out the, you know, threaded the needle between the Sullivan administration and labor and obviously it didn't wasn't received <laughs> that way by by labor so and then obviously so steel one uh-huh and um who was the other one uh croft croft won pretty easily he had tons of name recognition and then is that when the ship creek kind of thing came about or no uh like the first few years i was here i would i would do a little stint on a campaign and then i'd go do something else so i uh, i had a buddy who was doing the pacific crest trail Oh, nice. From Mexico to Canada. So mm-hmm. I went and did a month with him um, hiking and worked on, worked a couple seasons on commercial fishing boats. and Up here? Yeah. In Bristol Bay and then in Southeast a little bit. Um, Damn. Yeah. That's hard work, huh? Yeah. But like when you're working campaigns, it's incredible to be able to go from a job that's, you know, 80% emails and phone calls to a job where your phone doesn't work and it's all just heavy lifting and you're outside and... I was in Australia, you know, I, I was I had a work visa and uh-huh. I couldn't really find, I was trying to get a professional job and the visa, the whole thing changed in Australia about long-term visas. So mm-hmm. I just said, fuck it. So I started doing like labor jobs. Yeah. And I, just, <laughs> I tell you what, when I was in Sydney on a hundred degree day working outside carrying bricks, that's when uh-huh. I realized I'm a white collar guy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I mean, it was just like, and then I worked in a bar in Darwin. I was like bartender, which was fun. You must have been I worked in a hostel bar in Darwin. Yeah. Like it was just the stories are insane yeah i mean i believe it you know and then i just traveled a lot and did, yeah but you're right i mean you're in this office and then you're sending emails or like i was working in it and telecom mm-hmm. and then you're you know you're like you're like interacting with like just crazy drunk like travel like traveler people in the hostel all day long yeah it's it's uh for me like i know not everyone's this way but i like to always keep things varied if i if i do the same kind of thing for too long i kind of get stuck and so doing the fishing i came back because so that summer I, I worked the first half in Bristol Bay and then the second half I had a fellowship in Sitka to kind of plan out my basically write the business plan for Ship Creek Group and uh, it was incredible to come like when you when you've just been doing the physical stuff for like two months uh, it's like yoga for your brain like you come back and you're just like so mm-hmm. relaxed and ready to go and so when you were in Bristol Bay, were you on like a big boat or just like a smaller one? Or uh, It's all 32-foot gillnetters out there. So, uh, yeah, we didn't have a bathroom. It was three of us on board, and maybe we could have squeezed one more person, but it was tight. And my friend has a boat. He goes out there in the summers. and Yeah. It's like three or four. He's just like pretty much like just lives on the boat for like it's, three or It's months. a rush. When the fish come, like we, uh, we had incredible weather, and the fish were super late. So for two weeks, we just kind of hung out and cleaned the boat, and but there's only so many times you can do that. So we were just like chilling so in got, the sunshine. You got paid based on how much fish you caught, right? Yeah, caught. so we're like, where are the fish? And then we had the worst weather, huge storm, um, and that was when all the fish came. And so we're just out there for three days, just like oh, fishing man. nonstop. And, uh, how'd you, did you know somebody with a boat, or did you, how'd you get the... I, uh, I just kind of, I met, it was actually, I was living in Juneau at the time, so I just talked to folks from the area, um, I think it was my, I think Sarah Evans actually might've hooked me up with the captain. Uh, if you know, Sarah mm-hmm, I, I know she and, uh, yeah. Um, so a friend of a friend kind of a thing. Uh, and I didn't have any mechanical experience. Like I'm not, I'm not a mechanical, I don't know yeah, the me, first thing about an engine. So John Henry, go fix the engine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he tried that a couple of times and I was like, I literally like, I had to ask him the name of the tool. Like it was pretty bad. <laughs> but then, uh, we realized the other crew would do all that stuff. And I would just be like the, uh, like the housemaid of the boat. And I did all the cooking and all the cleaning. And when the captain was mad, I'd make him a sandwich. And did you make like good money on the deal, deal or, uh, I did not because that year, the year before had been so good that they still had lots of fish in stock. So the price was bad and the fish were late. Um, so for me, it was kind of a, a work fit. I didn't, I, I barely made enough to cover my expenses, but then my cousin the next summer took my spot on the boat and he made six times what I made. So it's, it's feast or famine out there. Yeah. That's a good, got a good story though. Yeah. The, my favorite part was when all the fish were coming, the captain had speakers on the back deck and he'd let us play whatever we wanted. So we would just, it's kind of like pump up music for sports. The body is yeah. the floor. We'd be Not playing like Biggie and rage against the machine and stuff. And just like going nuts on the back deck and it's like 
pitching and the waves and you got salmon like 400 salmon coming over the side and you're just like it's pretty exhilarating that'd be a good re- i mean there's like you know deadliest catch but mm-hmm. it'd probably be a good one to get the smaller boats and yeah bristol bay that'd be probably even better in yeah some ways. i mean the bay is a lot more protected than the bering sea so it's not not nearly as crazy in terms of mm-hmm. weather and stuff but so you're in sitka and then you decide to do the ship some point you're gonna we actually so we launched ship creek group at the beginning of 2015 were you there with was uh jkt involved at all or that was just like you were in Uh, we were friends uh and we talk about it but he wasn't involved in like the getting it set up um because he he won in 2012 that's when he ran too yeah and we met shortly after that um but no josh corbett was my partner at the time he's a kind of uh he's a photographer and a videographer and he was also doing web and graphic design he he does some like new york times and stuff Mm -hmm. doesn't he yeah he's an incredible photographer um so we got it started and we took on a bunch of basically kind of freelance type contracts. We were working on with fishing organizations um, on advocacy. So I was based in Juneau. Josh was based in Anchorage. He did a little bit of photo work on uh, Ethan Berkowitz's first campaign. Mm-hmm. So you're basically just taking whatever we could get. But we were building up to like our, our eye was on 2016 and the opportunities we saw that political cycle. So we, we kind of got it up and running in 2015 as a way to kind of... Didn't you at one point, was that maybe 14? Didn't you guys work with Delana Johnson at one point? Yeah, she was. Uh, we worked with two Republican candidates in the in the primary of 2016. Okay, that's right. Because mm-hmm. I remember th- thinking, I didn't know her that well, and I know she r- ran, and she was working with you guys, so I said, oh, she must be kind of you know pretty moderate. Mm-hmm. And um, she kind of went the other way on that one. <laughs> yeah, she has her moments. Uh, <laughs> Delana is... Uh, she, we remain friends to this day, or at least I, I would say that. I hope Did, she would say that. Didn't she do the one ad? It was like, uh, what was it? It was like a radio ad. Maybe it was a video. It was something about like tough worker. Like, yeah, we teamed up with Art t- Hackney on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, because it was yeah. that Art Hackney guy, that voice guy he uses. He did the radio and we did the video and used the same track for it. And That uh, was a good ad. It was fun. Yeah, I really... So I, I remember like, I remember like being like, God damn, she's... she's shouldn't, shouldn't give a fuck. You know? Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was really strong work by Art, and then uh, I really like our video from that too that Josh put together. Um, yeah, no, I'm thinking of the video. I saw, it and she's like, like a, it was a bar, a barn maybe, or it was like a. She's like building her signs in the barn. Yeah, and she goes around town, and yeah, yeah, and it's like that guy, like down. that southern guy's voice. Uh huh. Yeah, I mean, she's she's definitely got a little bit of uh, a little bit of maverick in her. Um, I would say a little mavericky, and I think. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate somebody who's not always in lockstep. Um, Who was the other Republican? Gary Knopp. Oh, really? You worked with Gary? Yeah. I like him. Yeah. We did a, we did a podcast right after, in Juneau, right after he kind of came out and was like, yeah, I'm not I'm not part of this yeah. caucus anymore. And um, he's just really matter of fact. He's just like, he's like, he so doesn't, straightforward. He's not, he's not yeah. I mean, he doesn't talk like a politician. He's incredible that way. Yeah. He just tells you, what, he just answers the question like, nor, like a normal person. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I think, you know, obviously the, uh, the Republican party, you know, the establishment is, is thinking about going after him. They're, in the they're, next election. they're, they're teeing up for him. I mean, that yeah. guy, that Ron Gillum guy that almost beat Machiki, uh-huh. who's like a little bit out there. Yeah. He, he's like filed against him now. And he's uh-huh. like on, you know, everything's every, I see him post just like crazy stuff about Gary, but I think, I think they're going to have a hard time because I think Gary's pretty well known down see, there. And I think people know that he's just, I mean, Gary is a Republican. There's no way around it. Well, and if you look at like, you know, Stutes and Seton and Ledoux and they, I mean, they went after them hard. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and Seton, he, I mean, he kind of screwed himself. I mean, he switched to, you know, independent. Yeah. It seemed right? like if Seton had stayed a Republican, he would have had a better shot. hundred percent. He would in a four way primary, hundred yeah. percent. He wins that. Yeah. Um, and then Seton and uh, Ledoux and Stutes won. Mm-hmm. So one one of them was by his own error, Seaton, and the other two won. Mm-hmm. So I think there's this echo chamber situation where these, like, they had the central committee meeting. They sent, they voted to censure him, and you have stuff online, and there's like the echo chamber of Facebook. But I mean, I think guys like Gary or like Chuck Cop or Jennifer Johnston, like maybe or Tammy Wilson, maybe they're going to come after him. Mm-hmm. But I just don't think the support. The hatred by the average voter is there. Like it is for a very small amount of loud people. Well, it's like what you talked about, likability and trust, right? If if you go down to Juno and you get to know the legislature, legislators, uh, there's not many more people you would say that you like more or that you would trust more than Gary. I mean, he's he's so straightforward. Uh-huh. Uh, he tells it like it is. He's a really nice dude, uh, and I think he's been so active in local government and as a business owner down on the Kenai for so long. That yeah, because like, he was on the uh, bur- borough assembly. Or the, he was in the council. Yeah, he did at for. least three terms on the borough assembly, I think. And um, he actually knows the company I used to work for, the oil field service company. He, he used to work back in the oil industry for mm-hmm. years with my Yeah, my for own, Arco. 
my so my my the owner of the company I work for, he like they go way back in like the seventies and eighties. So yeah, he's been around for yeah for a while. So and and he, and he works his ass off. Uh, his ass okay on the oh, he's a, yeah I, great. I think I've said fuck like three times. Sweet. So. Uh, you can say whatever you want. This is a internet radio baby. Cool. Um, yeah, he works his ass off, and I I think uh, he'll be a tough out. Um, but who well, knows? especially if it's at Gillum. I mean, if it's somebody else, maybe, but that guy's like, I mean, Machiki was like, dude, he was like shy. He was in shock. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I was, I thought he was going to get 75%. Mm-hmm. Machiki. It was like 50 votes or 60 votes or something. Yeah. Out of like 5,000. Well, that was a crazy primary. I mean, all the close races and the, the stuff in district 15. And oh, they'll do. Yeah. 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 Um, and then, so, so you guys had that article, that political article that was mm-hmm. out, was with you and, and Forrest Dunbar was, and who was the other one? John Hen- or uh, JKT. JKT, yeah. I, I remember um, one of the comments I got, I, I wrote about it in the, my column. It was like somebody somebody said like all these like, all these like some, because it was about like women and all these different people. And, and, I, and the I actually, was like all these like fucking white men. I thought that criticism was on point. I thought that article um, got some things right, but really missed the boat on you know, a, a theory of change that revolves around small groups of young white men is pretty problematic, pretty broken. So I, I, I didn't have a whole lot to say. In well, yeah, you guys, to you guys didn't write it. I mean, he wrote it, the guy. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's true. And, uh, you know, can't, can't apologize too much for something he didn't write. Was there a lot also, of that kind of f- feedback or like blowback from? Yeah, I, I got that feedback, uh, privately. And also you saw it all over Facebook. And I, I, like I say, I just, I didn't have, much uh of a problem with the criticism i thought it was i thought it was pretty valid and i think when you think about all the people that work on these campaigns um and also there's not a whole lot of national coverage of alaska politics i mean i think if if there were political articles running every week about different things in alaska politics mm-hmm. or if that had been a landmine article i don't know that it would have received the same blowback because it would be like okay well this well, week we're would highlighting have, these you people have, yeah because you're, you're people are local they probably would if it was me or somebody else i mean there was like the palin stuff but that's kind of died you know mm-hmm. that's all died off now and you get really really we get i don't know it seems like if trump's up here there's a little bit but i mean since palin kind of went away it's the national coverage has really died off murkowski yeah. i guess gets some stuff when she goes against trump but that's specific to her in dc yeah and i think anyway i just think i think if um for the for the little amount of coverage we have to have it focused on just three people was um i i can see why that was frustrating to people and all the people that work hard on campaigns um so after some of the stuff happened um in juno with some of the folks resigning and stuff was was that did that affect you like do you hear a lot from about that or how did that like affect you guys yeah because some of those were your candidate i mean some that you work with some of those people right? yeah yeah like we Westlake did and- um we we worked on Dean Westlake's campaign, and we also worked uh, Fansler, right? Yeah, on Fansler's campaign, and you know, I had some people say, "Well, you can't you can't be responsible for what they do," um, but for me, I think um, it. I, I definitely learned a lesson from that. I I don't think um, I don't know. I, I don't have a whole lot to say about Dean or Zach as people, um, but I think. Um, the the takeaway that I got from that was if you're going to work for someone for elected office, it's really important to make sure that you, you trust them mm-hmm. to behave both I mean, in the, the office and as a person in a way that you feel good about. Cause I think, um, that's, that's one of the stressful things about working in politics is like you kind of, you don't have your, your brand becomes tied to the people that you yeah. work with. And, uh, and if they behave badly, you know, that does come back on you. Well, the fans thing was, you know, kind of, a one you know, one off bad de- situation, horrible deal, and, and that whole thing happened. But the Westlake thing was a little more interesting because I mean that the whole after the whole thing went down, the, the stuff that happened in the eighties. Mm-hmm. I mean that was, that was out there for somebody to like the George Jacko stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, the the with the kid with when he was a cop. Oh, oh, Westlake. Yeah, Westlake. Yeah. So for for me, it's like people kind of some people have criticized people and saying, oh, no, like people knew about it. like that's really kind of almost a failure of the media on some level because all you had to do is do a court view search mm-hmm. and and do a. a record search yeah so i mean there's even other people that have run and they've hired people that have been really bad criminal records and it comes out like years later so there's like part of it's the role of the media to like look at these folks and then also their opponents yeah have a role to like who, who's my opponent who's what's going on well and a lot of people also criticize the democratic party um and probably could have criticized the you know us as, in terms of working on the campaign and not doing that due diligence and i think what a lot of people forget is like you know these newspapers in Alaska are not these 
massive corporate operations, right? They're all bootstrapped and hurting for money. The yeah, Democratic Party is a uh, tiny organization and everyone kind of expects, oh, it's the party, you know, they must have hundreds of little minions running around doing this stuff. And it's like, it's three people and one part-time person working in a tiny little office in Midtown. Mm-hmm. Like, Well, in the Westlake stuff, you know, the stuff with the kid in the 80s and all that, that only came out after everything else had happened. Mm-hmm. So that, that, was, that was like, once people were focused on it, then they start looking and digging. Well, I think that's the point, right? Like, I don't say that to excuse. I, I think what's important is is what happens afterwards, right? And mm-hmm. in the past, this stuff has been swept under the rug. This time, both of those guys resigned. I think that was absolutely appropriate. And now you see the party changing the way that it handles due diligence with people who want to run for office ahead of time. Um, and I think, you know, you see organizations like the Landmine that are that are coming forward to help carry the burden of, like, uh, transparency, right? Like, I think you guys are doing a service. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much out there, whether it's like with individuals or with like shady contracts or Mm -hmm. with like payoff. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like I get so many tips every day and you know, a lot of them are just kind of crazy bullshit, but then some of them are like, you know, shit, this is like written. And all of a sudden when you get a good tip, then it's like that in my mind, I almost get frustrated because I'm like, Oh fuck, here's like weeks of work. I have to, you have to like investigative journalism doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. It's it's not, you can't just use the internet for everything. You have to go down to the courthouse or maybe you have to meet a source and you have to get document. You have to do a records record. I mean, there's like a lot of work to this stuff. Yeah. And then it's like, how do you do the trade off of like the sort of investigative single piece that's going to take you weeks versus like maintaining your week to week stuff. Like you got to get the stalker and the yeah, I mean, the Sunday call them up every week. And it's, I mean, like you said, I mean, ADN used to eighties and nineties. The newsroom was, I mean, I did a podcast with Ryan Binkley mm-hmm. you know, posted it a couple of days ago and you know, he bought, they were talking about the ADN and almost went bankrupt. I mean, right. it almost closed the doors. And yeah. you know, back in the day when there was like money and it was like newspapers and television stations were like the news source. There was, it was like printing money. Yeah. And they had a huge newsroom with, 30 reporters and a lot of resources and now it's like it's it's, it's really hurting and there's studies that have shown you know that the, the less media there is in a city or a state you know less newspapers less reporters the more corruption there is the more spending mm-hmm. there is because nobody's pretty obvious nobody's watching yeah and i also think i mean when you don't have um public organizations coming forward to fill that gap I mean, people still want to consume news but then you get these sort of siloed organizations oh, yeah. that only exist for the left or the right or for different pockets of people. Well, uh, you get like partisan propaganda, yeah. you know, that people look at it and it looks good. It's looks like a nice website. It, you know, the, it's written nice, whatever. And mm-hmm. people think, oh, this is, and that's like, that's all they read, some yeah. people. And that's, their view becomes that. Yeah. And it's pro- I mean, this has been, you know, talked about and written about ad nauseum, but it's definitely something we as a society, it seems like we got to figure this out. Um, yeah. I wish I knew the answer. I mean, I'm sh- probably be a millionaire if I knew the answer. Well, yeah. And I mean, I think you guys are, I, I think of the landmine as, as, um, as filling the gap in part on that, you know, I, I think it's good you guys exist because yeah, there's no, a lot less coverage without you. I like, I enjoy it, but I think it's important. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the other thing I want to talk to you about the big, the big thing here, um, you're, you're actually leaving here pretty soon tomorrow, right? Yeah. I'm on, on a flight tomorrow down to San Francisco. So you're going to Airbnb. Yeah. That is random. It is it feels super random uh, in some ways. I, um, pretty bittersweet. I actually, um, I had a really tough time with the decision. I just, I feel like Alaska has been, it's an incredible place to live, but also the people here. Um, I mean, you know, when you come here and you're new and you don't know mm-hmm. anybody uh, coming from New England, it's it's a totally different feel in terms of coming into a place and being accepted and being welcomed. Um, so how, how did this, you said they approached you or they contacted you or did you know somebody over there? Or? No, they, so I, as I was, so after the Walker campaign ended, um, was interested in getting ship Creek group back up and running and working yeah, with some new people. After this, I want to talk a little bit, just real briefly after this, I want to talk about your time with Walker and cool. I know it's like probably three podcasts, but, um, no, no worries. you were the, in the, you were with the campaign, but then you were actually on his staff. Yeah, so. that's right. But getting back to the Airbnb. So um, I was actually, I, part of me was really interested in um, spending some time. When you work at a small company, you get, or at least I have gotten frustrated by all the reinventing of the wheel that you do. Oh, yeah. Trying to figure out how to do stuff that you know other people have figured out how to do efficiently and effectively, but you're kind of teaching yourself and mm-hmm. you're making it up as you go along. I mean, you know all about oh, that. Yeah, yeah. And part of me was that. like, I'd like to be, I'd like to have an experience at a, at a larger organization that's figured a lot of this stuff out well, just so care- I can learn. Be careful you 
be careful what you wish for because I got, was with a small company that had uh -huh. these problems and GCI bought the company in 2015. So I was GCI for a year and a half. And then you got big company problems. And then big company problems are a lot different than small company problems. Yeah. And sometimes like small company problems, you can sometimes you can like say, fuck it, I'm going to do something. Mm -hmm. Big company, you can't do that. Right. So you'll, 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 you'll have a whole new array of issues you'll, you'll discover. Yeah. And I'm not sure at the end of the day that I'm a big company person, but like I was saying earlier, keeping it varied and just always trying to be, trying to be learning and trying to be getting better. Um, well, especially a company like Airbnb that everybody basically, almost everybody in the world probably knows. Yeah. You know, you're, you're um, not going to like some bizarre or some kind of obscure, weird thing nobody knows about. You're going mm -hmm. to like, I mean, how many people, I think probably everybody I know has used Airbnb. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, they have their problems and, and people criticize them to be sure. Like, like anything else. Um, but they're certainly, you know, they're in an incredibly dynamic position. And I think, I mean, part of my motivation to go there is just to learn as much as I can. Uh, so I'm, they, they, I'm not selling my house here. I'm, I'm interested in coming back to Alaska at some point. But um, You're downtown, right? Yeah, I live uh, near New Sagaya Market. So, so they contacted you or they reached out to you somehow? Or? <laughs> I didn't update my LinkedIn profile from assistant to walker um, because it doesn't seem like to me that anybody really uses LinkedIn here. Uh, oh, I think they do. You think so? Maybe not as much as like Chicago or New York or LA, but yeah, I think people maybe I've, maybe maybe just less in politics. Um, but I had I had updated it uh, first day on the job with Walker because they were like, if you don't update it, it's going to say you're a political consultant. Suzanne Downing is going to take a screenshot of that and and run with it. Yeah, so let's yeah, get, no, your, that's smart. <laughs> let's that's get your LinkedIn profile fixed. So I did, but then I didn't go back around and update it. So uh, a couple months ago, if you looked at my LinkedIn profile, it said I've been assistant to Walker for two and a half years. Yeah, there's like, um, we did it in this person that's a stalker a few weeks ago. I, I got a LinkedIn a notification and said, congratulations to Casey Reynolds, eight years at KFQD <laughs> radio. And he yeah, left like exactly five years ago, right? So stuff. people do that all the time. So, you know, like I sent it to the stalker and it was, this is pretty funny, but it's very common. People go on there and they just don't update it. Yeah. Um, so they, I mean, they had a, you know, they were, they were working with, uh, different recruiters and one of them did a search. I think they were looking for somebody off the kind of off the beaten path for this job and um, you know, hard to get much more off the path than Alaska. So they, uh, they did a search and I came up because my LinkedIn profile was out of date and that was why they reached out to me initially. And the funny thing is I thought it was a phishing scheme um, and <laughs> I opened the job description. And then when I saw it was Airbnb, I was like, this is totally unrealistic. I've been hacked. And so I, this was really early in the morning. I hadn't even gotten into the office yet, and I freaked out. I rebooted my phone. I uh, did a full Google security check. I got on the phone with Google. I sent a memo to my team being like, guys, we, we really got to take the cybersecurity thing more seriously. Like, We've been hacked. I've, I've, I had a scare this morning. I think I've contained it, but like, because, you know, that's like the most terrifying thing is happening. Yeah, I know. I've, I've, we've all been there, I think. You know, yeah. something happens. And so I was, I, I, ignored, I deleted the email and ignored it. And then uh, I was on vacation with my girlfriend. That's probably even later. better because they're like, they're like, wait, now we got to get yeah, him. You accidentally know? <laughs> playing hard to get. Yeah, exactly. And they, this, this woman called and said, Hey, uh, why haven't you emailed back? I haven't heard from you. We're interested in talking. And I was like, well, that's cause I think you're a Nigerian prince like, <laughs> trying to steal my soul. You know? <laughs> um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put money in your account so right, I can get right. the cash. Yeah. No cashier's check for you. And like she, uh, it was a really funny way to, to like, you know, it was kind of getting off on the wrong foot, but in a way that was funny. She's, and like, it, she's like, these fuckers in Alaska. It really broke the real. ice. Yeah. She was like, well, if nothing else, at least you're, at least you're discreet. Like at least you worry about <laughs> privacy and stuff. That's one of the things we're looking for. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think it was a long process. It was about between all the phone conversations and the webinars and then going down to San Francisco, it was about 19 different interviews or conversations. Holy um, shit. I'll, I'll, crazy I mean, process. Months? Uh, month and a half maybe um that's not that bad I mean, not terrible but like nothing i'd experienced so what's before. your job are you going to be doing like communication because i mean i know they have a lot of political problems yeah with like the taxes and all the different hotels you know there's i mean i've read an article you know even turo is another one they're the car rental deal mm -hmm. juno right now having a big few months ago fight on the rental car tax mm -hmm. and all that so i know airbnb has dealt with a lot of that um over the, all over the world yeah, I mean, people, people, they've hired quite a few political people, I think, and, and people have assumed that that would be the connection for me. I, I'm, it's actually more similar to the job that I was doing for Walker when I first started with him, which was as his sort of assistant and body man. Um, so I'll be doing that for their um, their CEO, uh, whose name is Brian Chesky. No shit. He's one of the founders. Yeah. That's your job? Yeah. Um, so you just hang out with the guy? Unless I screw like... something up in this podcast. And they... <laughs> 
And they're going to be like, it was all good until you went on the land podcast. Minefield, yeah. Um, so, so I just hope that um, next time I, you know, I book an Airbnb, I'm going to be um, giving you a little shout out. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's talk offline. <laughs> I did one in um, Hawaii last year. My buddy and I went to Hawaii, uh-huh. and and is my it's actually a funny story. My friend's wife, who I'm friends with as well, called me and was like, you know, Sean wants to get out. His brother doesn't want to go. Do you want you know? Do you want to? Would you mind going to Hawaii for a week? And I'm mm-hmm. like. Would I mind going to Hawaii? What are you talking about? Yeah, isn't that the best? So they had like some miles and whatever, but we got this Airbnb because the hotels are really expensive there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's, especially the resort ones. Mm-hmm. So we got this like condo, two bedroom condo with a pool. And it was like, it was really nice. And it was mm-hmm. so, so, so it's such a nice process. The key was there, whatever. And it was like for a week, it was, I forget what it was, but it was like pretty affordable. It was yeah. cheaper than a hotel. And it was just like it was great. I, mean, yeah. I loved it. It was a great experience. So well, there think, you go, Airbnb, John Henry. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna do great. We'll see what happens. I I've got a lot to learn for sure. So, um, but I've enjoyed my experiences staying in Airbnbs. Nothing to complain about so far. So, so you're you're staying in like San Francisco or? Yeah, their office is in. I think the neighborhood is called Soma, uh, which is in the city. And are they like getting you a place to? Because that's expensive living there, isn't it? The cost it is, of living is like yeah, high. It's, there. A, it's an ass kicking. Uh, they 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 provide some assistance helping you find a spot, um, and I've got some friends down there. I, I probably will end up just uh, bunking up with some friends from college or something like that. Um, I'm definitely gonna come say hi. Yeah, you should. We'll go grab. My some friend good lived food. near there. He worked. He moved there a couple years ago for work. So from Alaska. Incredible food down there. We'd go out for dinner. And, I like the uh, the mission. Yeah, I think that's that's where I'm hoping to live. Actually, burritos are good. Yeah, I just watched uh, Milk there last week. About Harvey Milk. Oh, the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. He's, it's a fascinating Good movie. Talk about a political story. Yeah, that guy's political story organizer for sure. Is, uh, it's fascinating. So um, I know you got to go soon. I got to run too. But I want to talk a little bit about just Bill Walker. Mm-hmm. So you were hired to work as, as like you said, as assistant um, body man. Mm-hmm. And you did, pro- I guess you did some projects. What was it like? I mean, just kind of talk a little bit about what it was like doing that job. And then yeah, you know, afterwards, you went back to the campaign. I mean... Um... You know, obviously there was a lot of there was a lot of uh, speculation about what my role was. It's funny. I I've joked sometimes like I wish people would FOIA my email and see that we were sending emails talking about the fiscal plan and the legislature at eleven o'clock at night, and they'd see. I mean, that was that's the thing with Bill Walker is like the guy is a is a workhorse, and uh, when when I eventually did move over to the campaign, he was an incredible campaigner when he first ran because he didn't have to be. You know, he he wasn't the incumbent. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had a he had a hard time like he's so he's just a worker you know he's the kind of guy who like he'll have a to-do list a mile long and if it's three o'clock in the morning and you can't find him like he's up on the roof fixing something or you know working yeah no, and i got to know him pretty, i mean i did several interviews with him and we got to know i mean i got i knew him i actually was helping on his campaign in 2010 right because because he ran you know he with ralph samuels and parnell yeah. parnell and um i was just always pissed about the fiscal stuff you know yeah. the spending and all that and I just remember he used to always say, uh, we used to study stuff, or we used to build stuff, now we just study stuff. Yeah. And uh, I remember with Taylor Bickford, and we were like waving mm-hmm. signs and stuff, yeah. you know, back in 2010. The, and that, that was the thing, is like, he's, he's such a hard worker that it was tough for him to take time away to campaign because, you know, I mean, the state was in some real serious financial difficulty, and he was working around the clock on that stuff. Um, and he, I mean, that, trying to campaign full-time and be governor of a state in serious economic difficulty full-time is a pretty tough proposition. Do you feel like if you could, if you could go back, would you guys have done anything different as far as, you know, the legis- relationship with the legislature and, you know, just trying to get some of these, I mean, POMV got passed, which was kind of big. Yeah. It's easy to Monday morning quarterback it. Um, I think in some ways, uh, I mean, change is hard. And so sure. Tactically, I'm sure there were the things you do differently. Do you think he would have um, still vetoed the dividend if he could have gone back? Do, do I think he would have? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it's hard to say. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But far- I think what what v, I mean, vetoing the dividend obviously did damage to his his political career, his political viability. But it also had an incredible impact on people's sort of perception of what was possible. Um, like. Well, there was a court case, and yeah, I mean, I remains, mean it's, it's remains funny to be because seen if the legislature would have taken the action they did in 2018 if if someone hadn't sort of done it first. Well, it's funny because I was going to say he's generally, I'd say generally people, especially folks who don't pay attention, they kind of say, "Oh, Walker did, took the dividend." Mm-hmm. But the next two years, it was a legislature. Yeah, 
and you know we know you and I know that political insiders know that, mm-hmm. but I just don't think the public probably. I mean, I wonder what the polling would be on that if you polled and said like, you know, who do you you know who who do you think cut the dividend to a lower amount last year? Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing most people would say the governor. Yeah, you're probably right. Walker. I mean that. You know, and that relates to to the to the deficit of like just the lack of resources we have for for getting the word out. It's interesting to see what Dunleavy's doing in terms of spending money on um, on broadcast communications from the governor's budget. A lot of people are criticizing that, and I well, I there's a lot of people think that that's violating the ethics act when he's yeah. attacking le- individual legislators. And I, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I I don't know. Um, I actually kind of see some merit to it, just because if you elect a governor, you you want him to be able to get the word out. And that was something we struggled with in the right. Walker office. So in some ways I think it is problematic, but in other ways I'm like, maybe the governor should have a budget. I, I think, I out. think, you know, getting your word out is, I agree with you, but when you start using the money to attack individual legislators, yeah, to me, that's a different level of, of kind of, it takes to a different level. Yeah. Especially if they're going to be running for filing to run for office, all of a sudden the state resources, but I think it's nothing wrong with using, you know, now social media, people can, consume information from social media right and if you don't pay it's hard to, it's it, you know just posting something doesn't necessarily get the word out unless you put some dollars behind it so it'd be interesting to see what would happen if you know walker won in 14 and then the price of oil just soon after was like down to 30 uh-huh. it'd be interesting with dunlavy's whole basically idea of re- revenues and expenditures have to match if we had a similar price crash now that walker had to deal with i wonder what, what they would do i mean because mm-hmm. there's no way i mean there's no money at that yeah. point there's almost no money well, and it could happen. I, I, I think going back, I mean, I, your question about the, the veto is really interesting. I think what's difficult is that we're not actually out of the woods of the fiscal crisis yet. And so it's, you know, it, it feels like we need a little bit more time to tell whether what Walker did, if it actually helped and if it got us on a, on a good path for like for long term stability or not. I think if, you know, five years from now, you and I were sitting down talking about it and it was pretty clear that because of the actions that Walker took, it sort of started us down a path of getting in, in a more sustainable fiscal direction. Um, what's what's always like intrigued me and impressed me about Bill Walker is um, if you could say that for certain, and it was a choice between being a two-term governor or making that decision, you know, guaranteeing a single term mm-hmm. but getting us back on track. It, like genuinely, I think for him, he he would always say, "Yeah, I'll be a one-term governor and and make that sacrifice." Well, That's you know, it's. It, the thing, the thing I always said when people say, well, what's it like working for Bill Walker? It's like, well, we don't have the most experienced team or the most like, you know, we, we hired, he hired a lot of people from outside of state government. So we didn't know all the ins and outs of negotiating with the legislature. Um, but it was really nice to go, you know, every day when you woke up, you're like, I'm going to work for someone I think is a good person. Uh, and that was, you know, it's cool, cool feeling to be able to work for somebody like that. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I like Bill. I mean, I think one of the most compelling some information um, from all the dividend stuff is the money that you know didn't get paid out stayed in the fund. Mm-hmm. People th- think it paid for government, you know, it stayed in the, the fund. And over the whole period of time, all that money earned an additional like hundred million dollars mm-hmm. in in revenue we wouldn't have normally ha- had, which yeah. is still in the fund. I mean, yeah. it's still there, and it's still earning. It's still earning more interest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the financial nuance of of all of that is is pretty hard to break into I mean, sound bites. It's interesting now because you know Walker's gone, Dunleavy's there, mm-hmm. and the legislature can't get the dividend thing solved. So now I think people are starting to now it's like, well, it's the legislature now, mm-hmm. the Senate specifically, mm-hmm. and now Dunleavy's dealing with like he promised everybody all this money, yeah, and you know today's this ra- rally in the valley. Mm-hmm. I'm going there. Yeah, that'll be fun. It's gonna be uh be wild, quite loose mm-hmm. as, <laughs> as I say. Yeah. Well, I know you got to run, man, but this has been great. And I mean, yeah. I wish you the best of luck in your new uh, venture there and hope you come back. You know, I was gone for, I think leaving anywhere, any place is good because you start to really understand and appreciate what you miss and mm-hmm. you know what you don't. I mean, San Francisco is such a different place. Like I was in Sydney for, you know, three months when I was in my trip to Australia. But the first three months, it's like Anchorage to Sydney is like total opposite, you know, in every way it's opposite. Yeah. Well, I think this is going to feel a lot like that when you and I were texting about doing this podcast. I think I said, I think you proved that you can go away for a while and then come back better than ever. And so yeah, you maybe can. I'll try to follow in that model. You can. Um, and how, you're, how old are you? I'm 28. Yeah. So, um, oh man, I wish I was 28. I'm 34. Hey, I mean, a lot of, we got more years ahead of us than we have behind us. So that's, maybe you can do the Australia thing. thing too at one point. Yeah. I'd be down to check you that to, out. You got to apply 
before you're 31. I do want to I do want to shout out my the the team that I've been working with at Ship Creek Group. We didn't we didn't get into that as much, but um, yeah, folks Allie, that, right? Yeah, oh. people should keep an eye on these guys. Uh, Ali Banwell, Jenny Marie Stryker, um, Paula Deliaro, Barrett Wilbur. Um, oh Eric, yeah, Barrett. I, Barrett I met, from Sitka. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I met her uh, at the skits in 2017. Uh huh. I like her. Yeah, yeah she's, she's our cool. creative director. She's a baller. Um, she's actually going to go work on a fishing boat this summer with her dad down in Sitka. Oh, nice. Um, and then Josh Corbett, who we already talked about. Yeah, met, and I, met, I met him yesterday. For, yeah. For, I, I've met him before, but I went and... He hooked he, you up with some equipment. Yeah, we needed a piece of equipment, and he happened to have it. So yeah. I, I was like... You know, what, what, like it was funny. I was like, well, how much to rent this for a day or something? He's like, I don't know. He's like, it's like... Not, not a very expensive piece, right? Uh-huh. He's like, I think a six pack will do. And I was like, fuck it, 12 pack. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I brought him a 12 pack of IPA. And yeah, that's classic Josh. He he let me do the negotiating when we were business partners because he's he's just such a nice guy. Uh, but, um, you know, he has a, I didn't realize this, he has a, a master's degree in international studies from Johns Hopkins. Yeah, Josh's resume is incredible. Damn. He, he was in <laughs> Afghanistan working as a contractor for the US Army. Like, he didn't get into his creative stuff until probably a decade out of college um he'd be an interesting guy to do a podcast no with i too. actually told him that i said we yeah. should do we should do a po- yeah be fun. um but you should get ali and jenny marie on here too uh they're going to be sticking around in local politics and there they actually started kind of a similar group to ship creek group um when i went to work for walker called copper river group and did some good things um yeah i remember hearing about that yeah ali worked on liz snyder's race and she came really close to beating lance pruitt and, and may run again he um, can do it yeah do you, do you hear, hear our uh, variation song? Yeah, there have been a couple of good ones. Did you hear the one we did? Lance Pruitt. Mm-hmm. He's a loose unit. <laughs> you can do it. He's a loose unit. Your one reminded me. There's a one that Pete Peterson did. The Dunsmore Brothers did a spoof on his ad in 2012. You should check out. Really? I'll yeah. have to, okay, I'll have to find it. Do like a mashup of Lance Pruitt uh, remixes. Yeah, he, he, he's a... Man, he's really kind of gone off the deep end there. <laughs> yeah, no comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, John Henry, man, good luck in your new venture. Um, really happy we got to do the podcast, and I will be down there to come visit you. We'll, yeah, let's have dinner, grab a few beers, we'll and go we to can the, catch up. We'll get a burrito in the mission. Sounds perfect. All right, buddy. Well, appreciate it. Have a, have a good trip, and, uh, and all the best to you. And folks, um, if you want to do a podcast with me or have any ideas for a podcast, uh, let me know, and we'll talk to you next time. Landline.